Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We're starting a new series called Simple Math. And I'm gonna talk to you guys over the next few weeks about the very basics of our faith. The things that we, we uh, should be important to us all. Here's why understanding and embracing and being reminded of the basics of your faith are important. I remember reading an, uh, a story about the Green Bay Packers. Any Packer fans in the house are watching on? We got a few of you. You'll love this. When the late, great Vince Lombardi was the coach of the Packers, the guys went out. Sorry, here's the part you won't like. They just got killed. They just got beat terribly one game. And it was embarrassing kind of a loss. And so Lombardi got the guys back in the locker room, and all the guys were just, man, they were angry at themselves. They were just angry at the way they played. And the locker room got quiet. Lombardi held up a football. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he went on to say, we got beat because we got away from the basics of the game. We didn't block. We didn't tackle. We didn't do the basic things that you have to do to win a football game. And so he really started coaching them up again on the basics. And I think from time to time, uh, as a pastor, you have to come in and go, this is a Bible. <laughs> and you have to coach the church up sometimes on the significance of God's Word. Because we get into the bells and whistles, and we get into a lot of the other things that are important. But sometimes if you move away from the basics, if you move away from the fundamentals of your faith, you're going to cheapen the thing that we're doing. It is possible to grow a church very large and it be very shallow. You can go about five miles wide and be half an inch deep. <laughs> so it's important that we understand our faith is the root system. The faith is what we have that will keep us stable when the storms come. And by the way, they're going to come. All of us are going to go through hard times. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, meaning that every one of us in the room from time to time will go through things that are going to challenge the root system of our life. And it's important that we understand and that we have a strong faith that will enable us to withstand the winds of adversity when they, when they hit our life or they hit our marriages or they hit our finances or our career. So your faith is when your roots go deep. Your faith is whenever you get strong in what you believe because how you believe determines how you behave. And how you behave determines ultimately who you become. The reason our church is expanding and we're getting into this type ministry even more so is we believe, we believe this is what God wants us to do. So when you believe something, it affects behavior. So we're acting on the things that we believe. It, talk is cheap. You've heard that, right? Uh, I mean, we learned that in politics. Don't believe what somebody says. Look and see what they do. And that's important in every area of your life. And so I, it's important that we understand our faith has to take uh, legs. Our faith has to uh, form words. Our, our faith has to be expressed and not just experienced. And so when you begin to look at what you believe and why you believe what you believe, it affects every area of your life. I heard about a little five-year-old boy. He was going through a stage of development that some child psychologists call it the, the, 
Machiavellian intelligence phase of a child's development. Uh, it's where they believe in, you know, they believe in Superman, and they are Superman, or the Lone Ranger, or, well, I just dated myself, right, Lone Ranger. <laughs> uh, some of us believed in the Lone Ranger. Uh, but, but they, you know, they had this incredible ability, kids do, to believe these incredibly fantastic things. Well, this mom was a little worried about her boy because his imagination seemed to be out of control. He seemed to be, you know, and so she goes and talks to the school counselor and she says, hey, I'm a little worried about him. I mean, he's a great kid. He's healthy, but I'm just worried that his imagination kind of runs wild. I know it's development, but I'm worried. She goes, hey, let's schedule a time. I'll sit down with him and we'll work through it and I'll give you an opinion of where I think he is. She says, okay. So they set up the appointment. They come in one morning for the appointment. Mom's there, little boy's there waiting in the school office. School counselor's not there. She's running 15, 20 minutes late. When she walks in, she's kind of out of breath. Oh, I'm so sorry I was running late. You will not believe what happened to me. She said, what happened? She goes, I'm driving along, and an 800-pound gorilla dove out of a tree, jumped on the hood of my car, and starts jumping up and down on my car, trying to break the windows and get in and get me. Can you believe that? Now, oh, my gosh. And then they said, then out of nowhere, a chihuahua came, and the chihuahua chased the 800 gorilla away, and I got here safe and sound. Well, the mom was like, whoa, and the little boy just unfazed, unfazed, never changed his expression, just blank expression on his face. And the counselor looked at the little boy and says, what do you think about that? Do, do you believe that? Or, I mean, that's a pretty wild story. She said, do you believe that about the chihuahua? He goes, yeah, I believe it. She said, well, why would you believe it? He goes, because that was my dog. <laughs> What you believe is important. <laughs> and sometimes the things that you believe can be, can be wrong. Sometimes you say, well, it doesn't really matter, right, about faith just as long as you're sincere. Well, you really can be sincerely wrong. That's why, guys, when we teach in a church and when we preach in a church, uh, everything we teach and preach should be anchored on God's Word. It really should be the basis that we do everything that we do. Uh, you have to be careful, I think, in the ministry if you venture away from what God's Word has said. Let me give you this word picture. The role of a pastor or the role of a teacher, and I don't know what the difference is, honestly, between preaching and teaching. I think you get louder when you preach. I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. But the point, the point is the role of a teacher or a preacher is never to stand on top of God's Word or in front of His Word. Get that picture. Not to be on top of it or in front of it. So that what you see is the minister or you see the one ministry. When you're standing on top of it or in front of it, that's what you see. The role of a pastor or a teacher is to stand under God's word and behind his word. Meaning the, the role of a pastor is to say, this is what God said. Now it's up to you what you do with it and how you apply it, right? That's the role of a pastor. So my job as a pastor is to try to teach you as best as I can the truth about God's Word. Then it's your responsibility to take what you've heard and apply it in your life as God leads you to do. So my job is to do that, not on top or in front, but behind and under. So it's so important and significant that we base everything we do in a ministry on God's Word. I've told you before, I don't believe everything I've ever said. So you don't want to base your life, certainly your eternal destiny, on something I say if it doesn't square with his word. So what you do is you take a message and you take what's being taught and you look at it in, in accordance to how that squares with what God has said. And if it lines up, then you can accept that. And if it doesn't, you don't. 
So the importance of God's word is one of the fundamentals of our faith. And when I look into the Bible and I see what the Bible has to say about his word, one of the things the Bible says in Hebrews 4 is his word is powerful. It's powerful. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God. Think about it this way. Uh, I've been in a service before. You're, you're teaching on a certain topic. And I've had people in the lobby as they're leaving say, man, did, did my wife send you an email? You stepped all over my toes or you got in my business. You'll kind of... Tongue in cheek, but they're letting me know that I said something that kind of rubbed them the wrong way. Again, it's a little tongue in cheek, uh, I hope. But anyway, so they say that. I'm trying to, what did I say? And then, and I've had this happen to me. And then and two people later, somebody else comes out and says, man, that was so encouraging. I really got so much. And I'm sitting here, my head spinning. I'm going, how, what, how did that happen? How did this guy kind of uh, took offense to something and this one was really encouraged and then it dawned on me, if it's God's word, it's powerful and it'll have that effect. One person may need to be encouraged and one person might need to be challenged, but that's not the motive of the pastor. That's the role of the Holy Spirit taking the word of God and applying it to the life of the person. So when the Bible talks about the significance of itself, the Bible says it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, having the ability to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So it's powerful. Not only is the Bible powerful, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's practical. It's practical. Meaning that you can take principles from God's word and apply them to your life in a way they work practically speaking. It's, very, it's a practical book. Um, I know you read the Proverbs, or you should. I encourage you to read the Proverbs. The Proverbs are not promises, by the way. The Proverbs are, are statements that say, if you follow this, these things probably will come about in your life. They're not necessarily a promise. Uh, praying up the child and the way they should go when they're old, they'll not depart from that way. That's not a, necessarily a promise. It's a proverb. It's saying in principle, if you do this, this is probably what's going to happen. But you find so much wisdom when you study the Proverbs. So the Bible is a powerful book. It's also a practical book. Uh, the third thing I say about the Bible, it's also a very precise book. It, it, the, the thoughts and intents of the heart, that's pretty precise. It, it knows exactly what we need. And that's why when you hear God's word or you read his word and you read it with an open mind, you say before you read this or before you hear a message, you say, God, speak to me some way. Give me what I need from this word. I want to hear from you. So when your mind is open and your heart is open, you'll find the, the word of God has an ability to be very precise. It can speak into your life. Have you heard a message or you read a passage and you walk away and go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I need. Man, that was, that was really, I mean, that God just spoke into my heart. And then conversely, have you ever read the Bible and you just didn't get much out of it? Can I tell you, or, or have you had to force yourself to read the Bible? I don't want to sound unspiritual here, but I, there, there are times when I have to kind of force myself to read the Bible. Is that a terrible thing for a pastor to say? I just want to be honest. I, people sometimes think what I do, I just wake up with a cacophony of angels going, morning, Bill. And I've got an open Bible right next to my bed, and the sun shines across the pages of God's Word. And I just go, ah. I had a sweet little old lady in my other church. And she's in heaven now, I'm pretty sure, but she was in the church. And she would call me from time to time at 5 in the morning. Now, I'm an early bird. I like to get up early, but not every morning do I get up at five o'clock. I just don't do that. If I do, I, I come back to bed. But the point is, I don't do that regularly, especially on a Monday morning when you had the weekend. 
because you've got what we call a holy hangover. After you've been in church all day and ministering to a lot of people, you're tired. Brother's tired. So I get up early, but not five on a, usually on a Monday morning. She'd call me five o'clock uh, in the morning, and that's before caller ID. So you had to answer the stinking phone, right? Don't you love caller ID? Isn't that great? It's a wonderful tool. But that was before that came along. And here's what she would say when I picked up the phone. I'd say, hello, Mrs. Hull. You know, I'd hear her voice. And she'd say, oh, pastor, she said, did I pull you away from reading God's word? <laughs> I got to where I said, well, yes, you actually did. I was, me and Jesus were, you know, talking it out and wondering how our day was going to go. So what I started doing was deciding I would call her about 11 o'clock at night. Because I knew, you know, she's going to bed early, and I'd just call her up and say, Miss Hall, I know you're going to call me in about six hours to ask me if I'm reading the Bible, so I just wanted to kind of get the call in now. Is there anything you and I need to talk about? Are we good to go? But there was this impression that, you know, because of what I do, that it's always easy for me. It's a discipline. It's a discipline to read God's Word. You're not always motivated. Sometimes you do it not because you're necessarily motivated to do it. Sometimes you do it because it's the right thing to do. And every time what I'm driving at with this point is every time I've read God's word with an open mind, I may not have gotten in the moment the thing that I thought I needed, but before my day ends, I will find something that I've read from that morning will resonate in my spirit. It, it might have been that proverb that talks about there's, there's safety in a multitude of counsel. All right, I read that, and I'm thinking about that. And then all of a sudden, before the day is over, I need to make a decision, and I'm talking to two or three people before I make the decision, and all of a sudden, it hits me. That's a proverb. I'm seeking counsel. <laughs> I'm making sure this is the right thing to do. You see what, how that works? So his word is powerful. His word is practical. His word is precise. So it's one of the fundamentals of our faith. It's the, the foundation upon which everything else is built is built upon God's word. And think about how we got his word. Uh, we talk about inspiration, uh, that the scriptures came inspired by God. The, the word literally means, the word inspiration means to be breathed. 2 Timothy 3, 16. God breathed. He breathes into the apostles' hearts and minds the words that they would need to, to write. He enabled them to have supernatural recall of events and circumstances that they could, they could write about, right? It's inspired by God. Um, 66 books make up the canon of our scripture, written by 40 different authors uh, on three different continents, three different languages, over the period of 1,600 years. Now think about that. If you were to give a, a piece of canvas to 40 different artists, three different continents who spoke three different languages, and over a period of 1,600 years, you ask those artists to paint a portrait, and at the end of 1,600 years, you could collect all of the portraits that have been painted from 40 different authors <laughs> over 1,600 years. Many of them obviously never met the other, and yet you put them in on the floor, and you pieced it together, and it came together as an incredibly beautiful mosaic. It fit together perfectly. Well, when you could put that in your mind, that's exactly what we have with God's Word. It's, it's not a natural book. It's a supernatural book. That's why we say it's inspired. That means it's God-breathed. 
And I believe in when the Bible gave us that last word, I, I believe, now think about this, I believe in closed revelation. Let me explain that. Closed revelation means God is not adding to his word. He's not still writing his word. Now that's important because a lot of guys in my line of work will speak to you in such a way that would make you think that what they're saying into your heart carries the same weight as what Paul wrote or what John wrote. And that's just not true. When I'm teaching God's word and I'm speaking his truth in your life, uh, I have to base what I'm saying on his word. I, I can't go rogue, I can't go off-road, and I can't say to you, now that's not in the Bible, but this is what God told me to tell you. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That opens a lot of, <laughs> a lot of Pandora's box. There's a lot that can go wrong there. I mean, if I'm then going to accept what you're teaching that doesn't go with, uh, square with God's Word, but I'm going to accept what you're teaching because you're the teacher, and I'm going to believe what you're teaching is on par with what Paul or John has written about, and I'm supposed to accept it as the same authority and the, and the same inspiration as God's Word, you can get in a lot of trouble. In fact, a lot of cults have been developed out of that type of mentality. And in, in, in fact, where you don't have to square what you're teaching with God's Word, you have this open revelation, meaning God is speaking into my heart, His Word to you, and it doesn't have to square with His Word to us, and it, 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 it could be a problem. So I don't believe in open, I believe in closed revelation. I mean, I, I, think, I think about it this way. Everything I want to know, I may not find in the Bible. Everything I need to know, I'll find in the Bible. Now here's what happens with the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to me. He will show me things from God's Word that I might not have seen before. He'll teach me truth from God's Word. But I'm saying everything the Holy Spirit uses will always come back and correspond and correlate with God's Word. So the fundamentals of what we believe as a church, at least at this church, is everything we teach and preach needs to have a basis and the basis of truth is certainly God's Word. And I don't know, guys, have you noticed that there is a, a sinister, almost a satanic assault on truth? On truth. I mean, you hear people just say, I, I, you know, your truth, my truth, everybody's got a truth. And, and, and that can bleed over into, into uh, church world as well, where people really don't know what is truth. Who do I believe? What do I believe, right? Um, you, you get into this way of thinking that, I can accept God's word, but if it doesn't square with what I'm thinking, I'm going to go with my reasoning over against God's word. And, and, and you get into a lot of problems with that. You see, when you approach the Bible, you don't say, uh, you know, let me read God's word and I'll pray about what I think about it. Instead, you approach the Bible saying, God, my mind is already made up. Whatever you say, I'll do. You see the difference? Um, sometimes people get into a way of thinking that's very destructive in that they believe the Bible is just a, a good resource or the Bible is just a good book for suggestions instead of the Bible is a guide to live your life by. And I believe for a Christ follower, if you know Jesus, then the Bible is our guide. <laughs> it's the rule book. It's, it's what we follow. It's what we base all of the decisions of our life on. We, we base these things on God's Word because it's powerful, it's practical, it's precise, it's inspired. God has breathed it uh, from His own heart. And in the inspiration of God's Word, you also have the preservation of God's Word. I mean, I believe His Word to be infallible. I believe His Word to be inerrant. In those original uh, transcripts, 
But I believe God was powerful enough to not only give us an infallible and an errant word, but I also believe he's strong enough to preserve his word. I mean, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, we, we hold within our hand a Bible. Some of you have a copy of it on your device. A Bible that the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will not pass away. This Bible one day will be with us in heaven. So it's significant, guys, that we understand one of the great fundamentals of our faith is the belief and the trust that we have in God's word. I'll give you something else to think about. The Bible is not a history book. Some people try to, you know, find some historical fact in the Bible. It's not a history book. But when the Bible does speak of history, it's accurate. I'll give you one example. A little anecdotal. Uh, years ago, Cindy and I were in the Holy Land. And we went to an area where they were excavating the, the walls of Jericho. And you remember the story of Jericho where the Bible says the walls came down and the army went in straight in and conquered the city. Well, a lot of people had studied that story trying to find some contradiction and understanding. And they said, well, if the walls were as thick as the Bible describes them and those walls fell, how did the armies then run directly into the city and conquer the city? Because there would have been so much rubble that they could not have navigated over the tops of those walls. Well, so that gave a lot of people a little heartburn for a long time. And as they were excavating the walls of Jericho, they're finding large sections of the wall intact. They just went straight down into the ground. So the imagery was that they didn't fall in the sense that they fell over. They just dropped down into the ground so the army then could run directly into the city and conquer the city. What's my point? It's an anecdotal illustration, but it shows you that when the Bible speaks of history, it's accurate. The Bible isn't a science book. But when it speaks of science, it's accurate. For example, just one example, Leviticus 17:11. the Bible says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now what do we do now when you go to the doctor? They'll draw blood. Why? Because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, the Bible discovered that back in the book of Leviticus. <laughs> Way ahead of the curve. Uh, remember the flat earth idea that the earth is flat and all that. Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, 22, God sits, listen now, on the circle of the earth. I mean, the Bible says the earth is a sphere back when man thought it was flat. <laughs> So it's not a science book, it's, it's, it, you know, it, it, but when it speaks of matters of science, it's, it's certainly accurate. Uh, we have this hydrological system on the earth with rain and evaporation and how the water systems on the earth work. And yet when you look in the Bible, the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, the Job 26, Job 36, talks about this water system that God put in place and how he waters the earth. There was another thing I came across, and that's the idea that the earth is in perfect balance on its axis. It stays in perfect balance. And Isaiah talks about the weight of the mountains in Isaiah 40. And yet the weight of the mountains, it doesn't throw the earth off its axis like a, a ball that has a lump on it. You roll it and it just out of, you know, the, the earth stays perfectly in place. We're in what they call this uh, um, what's the word, a habitable zone, is that the word? Where it, farther away from the sun, we freeze, closer to the sun, we burn. What keeps it perfectly in place? Well, the Bible speaks of the fact that God created the heavens and earth. And I, I told you, I just believe this as simply as it states it. I think one day, you ready for this? God stepped from nowhere and he stood on nothing and he spoke everything into existence and it stays there because he tells it to. <laughs> That's all I need to know. I'm, I'm fine with that. My faith is very, very settled in that. I believe when the Bible says God created mankind, I think he created mankind. Someone said, once I was a tadpole, beginning to begin. Then I was a, um, a frog with my tail tucked in. 
Then I was a monkey in a banyan tree. Now I'm a professor with a PhD. <laughs> I believe God created all things. And so I anchor what I believe. I guess what I'm driving at is I anchor what I believe on the truth of God's Word. Because we really do need truth. I mean, we've got a, an agency in the government. It's called the uh, Department of Weights and Measures, right? You go to the gas pump when you leave here a little while. You take out a loan and you fill up your car. And you see that little, that little green sticker? It's weights and measures. Why is it there? It's there so you know a you're getting a gallon of gas. When you put that 90 bucks in there and you need those four gallons, you are, you are getting, you are, that's all I'm going to say about that. You're getting what you pay for. Or you go to the grocery store and you weigh those veg vegetables. Well, that scale has weights and measures. You, you want a standard. You want a standard of truth so you know you're not getting ripped off, right? We want, you, for, you go to the banker. You don't want the banker to say, you got a truth, I got a truth, all God's children has a truth. You want the banker to know, you know two and two is four, right? <laughs> My banker, you do know, I'm, you're counting the money. So I want to make sure we're on the same page, right? You go to a surgeon, you don't want the surgeon saying, you know, it could be your foot, maybe it's your head. Why don't we just operate on your stomach and work our way out? <laughs> no, you want them to be precise and you want them to be accurate. So what is my point? My point is that when it comes to the faith, we want to be accurate. We want to be exact. We want to come away and say, God's word, even though it's been attacked, God's word still stands. And it is powerful, it is practical, it is precise, it is uh, inspired by God, it is preserved by God, it is my guide, it is the place where I receive direction and instruction. It is so important to everything I do in my life is God's word. Let me give you this. I didn't have really time to get to what I had planned, so I'm sorry for all my note takers. I'll give you that outline later. That was all introduction. Aren't you glad I'm only going short tonight? I mean, good night. That's just the introduction. We got a whole other message to go. No, I won't do that to you. I found your mind can only absorb what your backside can endure. So we'll, we'll close with this. Great pastor, mentor of mine who's in heaven, uh, Adrian Rogers. And when he pastored in Florida before he went to Memphis, while he was in Florida, he had a wonderful family in his church. Well, uh, the man, the, the husband, the father of this household worked at NASA, and he was legitimately a rocket science, scientist, uh, but an atheist. He just believed, if I can't discover it in science, I don't accept the Bible, I don't accept, you know, God, I just, I'm sorry, I can't prove it, I don't accept it. And so he came to church, he was very sweet, sat with his wife, and he didn't buy in it. He, he, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, belligerent, um, but he just, he wasn't buying it. But his wife would say, you need to go talk to the pastor. Just go talk to the pastor. I wish you just... So finally, he gets an appointment, and he goes to see Adrian. Adrian said he was really kind. He just says, look, I don't buy any of this. I'll be honest with you. You know where I work, and you know what I do. I'm a scientist. I just don't accept the Bible. I just can't accept that there's a God somewhere that created everything. I'm sorry. It's too simplistic for me. Science can't discover it. I, I don't believe it. And Adrian said, well, sir, I mean, I respect that. But he said, how much of the knowledge of this world? How, how much knowledge do you think you, you have mastered? How, how much of the world's knowledge do you think you have? Do you have 10%, 20%? Do you know 10 or 20% of everything there is to know in the world? And the guy said, well, I consider myself pretty, pretty smart. But he said, I think it'd be arrogant if I said that I knew more than 8 to 10% of everything there is to know in the universe. Who, who could know everything? He said, so okay, as brilliant as you are, you're admitting that you know about 10% of everything there is to know in the universe. He said, yeah, that's probably fair. He said, let me ask you a question. 
Is it possible that God could exist in the 90% of that information that you say you don't obviously have? He said, well, I'm a scientist, but I would admit that that's a possibility. I don't know that. There's 90% of that information out there. Maybe God does exist. And then Adrian said to him, here's what I want you to do. For the next few weeks, or however long it takes you, I want you to read through the Gospel of John. And he said, just take it a chapter at a time. But he said, before you read it, he said, I want you just to look up. Maybe just look up the ceiling. And just say to God, if you're a God, if you're real, show yourself to me somehow from your word. He said, just, just say that to the ceiling. Just pray that little. He said, I'd call it a prayer. Just say it out loud. God, if you're real, if, you're, if you are God, show yourself to me from the word. Adrian said he left the office. He committed to doing that. He said months went by. And he didn't hear from this guy. And finally, the guy did call him back. And he said, Pastor, I want to tell you something interesting. He said, my mind has been open. My heart is open. I'm not totally there yet. But he said, I have changed a lot because I've had some circumstances and some things that have happened in my life that have revealed to me that I could be wrong about a lot of this. And so he said, I guess what you're saying is I'm discovering my faith. And through that experience, God revealed himself to a guy from his word. So guys, I, I, I just can't, I can't challenge you enough as I close my message to discipline yourself, to spend some time in his word. Since you've got it on your device, maybe when your alarm goes off, maybe the first thing you do before you get out of bed, just start in Proverbs, right? This is, what is this, August 7? Read Proverbs 7 tomorrow morning. Read Proverbs 8. Then go read a psalm. Just read a psalm. It's quick. Just read a proverb, read a song, correspond to the day of the week. And as you read it, say, God, speak to me. Show me something from your word. And guys, if you'll do that consistently and continuously, you might be surprised at the things God will begin to speak into your heart. Because he still speaks through his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had to just talk about the basics of our faith and particularly the truth of your word. Father, help us to embrace your word and help us to get into your word and to read it, to assimilate it, to meditate on it, to think about it. The entrance of your word, you said, gives life. It gives light. So, Father, I pray you will illuminate our minds and hearts through your word. Lord, I, I pray for my friends here and those watching who may never have trusted you as Savior. They may never have come to that place in life where they've humbled their heart and they've received you. I pray this might be the moment where they just say, Lord Jesus, right where I am, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.